Well, it's good to have you at church this morning. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And a couple of announcements as we get started. I'm doing something next week that I have not done in eight years as the senior pastor here at Christ the King. I'm actually going to start a brand new series on Labor Day weekend, okay? Normally, I just kind of have a guest come in and I go and do my own thing um, to get some rest. But I've actually been getting ready to preach this series of messages and I can't wait. So we're going to start next week. I did not know this, but I started writing these messages 12 years ago when I had a crisis in my spirit about what God really wanted to do here in Whatcom County. And I was struggling. I was not in a good space with God. And I started having an argument with Jesus. Has anybody ever else had an argument with Jesus? Did you lose too? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. And so we're going to start a brand new series next week called Simple. If you'd like to read ahead We're going to be in the book of Acts, the first 15 chapters. And we're going to be there um, up until about the mid-October, somewhere in that area. Because I believe God is not calling us to a complex model of what this thing is called church. I think he's actually calling us back to something that's very, very simple. And really just deals with Jesus and people. I think those two elements seem to be pretty cool and they're both eternal. And so we're going to invest in that. And we're going to be walking through the first 15 chapters of the book of Acts and seeing, you know... 2,000 years ago, the church numbered about 120 people, and they were scared to death. They were hiding in an upper room, and God said, you're just going to hold out and wait for a little while, and then I'm going to unleash you. And I don't know if you know this or not, but actually, if you're here today, you're a fulfillment of many of the prophecies and a lot of the work that they did in the original church. We're here because they were obedient And now the question is whether we're going to be obedient in the 21st century. So that's what we're going to be working on over the next couple of weeks. We start next week, so I invite you to be here. I know it's going to be a a, a big weekend. you got barbecues and all the rest of it, but come to church on Labor Day weekend, okay? Is that subtle enough for you? That was subtle. Okay, all right. And uh, so next week, we're starting a brand new series. The week after that, we go back to our regular fall service schedule, which means we'll be doing Saturday night at 6, Sunday mornings at 8.30, 10, and... 11.45, but I I need you to do me a favor, okay? So here's the deal. Um, If you're an 11.30 person, don't listen to this because we we pushed the 11.30 service back 15 minutes because we've had a hard time turning our parking lot around because it's so full, and then we've had a hard time as well getting children out of the 10 o'clock service and in, so we pushed it back for 15 minutes, but here's the deal with 11.30, okay? They don't actually show up here at 11.30. They show up at 11.45, so we're actually not even going to tell them that we're moving their service time. We're just going to move it back, and they're going to start. So 11.30, you just keep coming when you normally do, and you're going to be just perfect. And the godly people who show up on time at 10 o'clock, God bless your hearts for doing that, okay? So we're going 8.30, 10, and 11.45, but that's not for two weeks, okay? So everybody's clear on that whole piece, and uh, yeah, clear as mud, right? Awesome. There's a Leader Life potluck barbecue. If you're part of the Leader Life community, we invite you to come and be a part of that later on this afternoon. And we're getting ready in the next couple of weeks to ramp up all of the ministry that happens here at Fall. And so I hope uh, you'll see all of the opportunities that are available for you and that you'll come and uh, click into some of those. That would be great. So I love it when, when God seems to be up to more than one thing at one time. So I found myself a couple of weeks ago involved in a situation not knowing that it was actually God tipping his hand to what we're going to do here this morning. Uh, Let me give you an example of how that worked from my recent trip to Africa just a couple weeks back. Two Sundays ago, I was preaching at a Pentecostal church in Tanzania, okay? I grew up conservative, 
Baptist church. And so for me as a preacher, it was an absolute dream come true. Because in Africa, in those kinds of churches, all you need to do is whisper the word, alleluia, and everybody goes nuts. They just say it out. You say, alleluia, and they just like, amen, and the place just goes bonkers. If you say something good, they will clap and stand and cheer. If you say something better, they will literally come unglued. If you say something completely biblical, the place will go absolutely Nuts. And I had an opportunity to preach to this group of African brothers and sisters. We had such an amazing time over there. Their first church service starts at 6 a.m. We didn't get there till 7 a.m. So they had an hour to get wound up, waiting for the pastor, the preacher to arrive and bring them the word of God. And they were in full form when I got there. I mean, I was outside of the building and the place, it looked like the walls were like moving in and out. Like, it was just absolutely incredible. You think we're loud? Yeah, we've got nothing on our African brothers and sisters. So we show up about 7 a.m., and I show up at the door. They've been worshiping for an hour, and I'm greeted at the door by Pastor Kamora, okay? I've actually got a picture of him. There he is, okay? He's the, the elder pastor emeritus of this particular church in Tanzania. He's 80 years old. He's about four foot nothing, and he is a spiritual dynamo. Like he's been lit up. He's been a part of this church for more than 50 years. Every pastor should last for 50 years in the same church. You want to talk about history? This guy's got absolute history. And when he met me at the door, he hugged me African style, which means he walked up, put my, his hands on my shoulders, pulled me in, chest bump on one side, pushed me back, pulled me in, chest bump on the other side, and then shoved me. Now he's four foot nothing, so he's knocking the wind out of me every time he's like, ooh, ooh, you know, ah, right? And so I, I have an opportunity, and then when he pushes me back the next time, he looks me in the eyes, and this is what he says. You are the man of God who has come to bring my people the word of God. <laughs> really? <laughs> are you sure about that? Because I am really freaked out right now by that introduction. And it actually says that in their program. The man of God will bring the word of God. No, no pressure, right? And I am completely freaked out. But, and, and then it, it kind of gets worse because he ushers me into the service and he takes me up to a chair up at the front that looked like a throne, okay? If you've ever watched TBN, the big white, yeah, that's it, okay? Scary, scary, scary stuff. And he, he sits me down, he plops down beside me, and he pats me on the leg, and his, lo his eyes are just sparkling. And he looks at me again, he goes, you will preach to my people. I'm a recovering Baptist kid from Manitoba. I mean, he was scaring me. So I preached my brains out for three services. And he sat in his chair with the largest Bible I have ever seen any human being carry. I think it was magnified by the fact that he's so small. This thing just looked, you know, it's a big Bible, all right? And he sat there and he took notes through all three of the messages. And he had this just mildly amused look on his face. Like at, at any moment he would come up and take the microphone and just save me from myself, you know? Praying for divine intervention. In between the first two services, we went up to his office, and he didn't say a whole lot. He didn't tip his hand to the fact that his English is actually fantastic. But he asked me a question. 
His first question was this, how old are you? <laughs> kind of like asking, do you have a license to be doing this, you know? Are you sure you qualify? When I told him how old I was, he just kind of laughed and shook his head. And then he began to tell me the stories of what it's like to pastor the same church for more than 50 years. He'd been with that church through famine and through more famine. He talked about moments when they had struggled literally to feed the very people who were inside of their church. At the end of our time together, he actually walked me outside and said, I'd like to show you our building project. So we walked behind this construction wall and there was a half-finished foundation that was in the ground there. And I asked him, I said, Pastor Kimura, what, what, what are you doing? He goes, we're going to build an 11-story complex here that's going to house a feeding ministry and a children's ministry and an AIDS hospital. He went through this whole list of things. I said, how much is this going to cost? He said, it's going to cost 11 million U.S. dollars. The average Tanzanian makes about 120 U.S. a year. That's faith. And I'll tell you what, if it's just simply based on the faith of the pastor of that church, I think they might actually pull it off. Because he just believes if God's in it, it's absolutely possible and nothing is outside of the realm of possibility if Jesus is in the middle of it. So he, he walks me outside there and I just realize that even though I'm standing beside a man who, who's significantly shorter than I am, that he's actually a giant and I feel like a dwarf spiritually. I think to myself, I don't deserve to even carry this guy's Bible. I feel unworthy to be in his presence, much less preach in his church. After the last service, my friend John Mulcalway said, we're going to go have lunch in the pastor's office. And we were actually late. If you were here last weekend, we, we showed you video. We were on our way to the baptism service where we baptized the Messiah chief. And then these Messiah men just started spontaneously accepting Christ and getting in the baptismal tank. If you didn't see it. It's on the website. It's a pretty amazing thing to watch. We were supposed to be there, and we were already late. And I'm just like, John, look, we don't have enough time. to." He goes, no, you don't understand. If the pastor tells you you're going to lunch, you're going to lunch. I'm like, okay. So we go up to his office, and I want you to remember this. In Tanzania right now, food is expensive, and it's scarce. It costs a lot. The cost is high. The provision is very, very slim. And so feeding us lunch was coming at a huge price for him and for his family. This is what I realized. Giving something to me meant he was not giving something to some of his children and grandchildren. So we arrived for lunch and Pastor Kimura, he served us, literally. He dished up two heaping platefuls. I thought one was for me and one was for him. They were both for me. And he, he put them on the table and he kind of slid them across. And then he took a piece of African bread off of the top of one of the plates. It's called a chapate. I've actually got a picture of one right there in the middle. It, it, it's kind of like a tortilla African style is really what it is. And he took it and he held it up in the air and he prayed over it and he blessed it. His prayer was better than my sermon. It's awesome. And he prayed over it and then he tore it in half. And then he looked at me. And he said, Karibu, welcome. Eat, enjoy. You are welcome. We're blessed to have you here. Welcome, Pastor. Welcome. He, he laid out a buffet in front of us. Chipotes, rice, fish, chicken. Toughest chicken I've ever eaten. I just... <laughs> Something about African chickens, I don't know. Maybe it's the survival mechanism, but you got to work for it to get it off of the bone. And he laughed at me because I'm trying to like chew it off. 
And he, he said this, he goes, African chickens are rough. I'm like, yeah, that's an understatement right there, okay? Like, like that. Beans, fried bananas, I mean, you just name it. It was all laid out. There was an unbelievable abundance. And all the way through the meal, he kept saying the same thing. Welcome. Enjoy. Bless you. Eat. I mean, I ate until I could not eat anymore. In that moment, God was really kind of tapping on my heart because I realized, you know, it's hard to eat and enjoy when you feel unworthy. When you feel like you don't deserve what's being served, when, when the extravagance of the amount and the provision is just kind of over top of what, what you think is necessary, when, when you know somebody else desperately needs what you're being offered and you know that it's, it's coming to you instead of going to them, that's just humbling. It's humbling. When you realize that 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 the blessing feels undeserved. It, it can just make you feel a little bit off. It's hard to accept the welcome when you feel so unbelievably worthy to even be in the room with the people that you're with. Well, this weekend, we're going to come to the communion table and many of the same feelings that I just described may already be running through your hearts and your minds. I already watched it happen this morning. Somebody came into the worship center, saw the communion tables, got a very embarrassed look on their face, and turned around and went, went right back out the front door. See, there's something about the communion table that, that at times, depending on where you're at in your journey, you can just feel really unworthy, kind of undeserving. And, and, and the, th- the thought comes to mind, how in the world am I going to deflect the extravagance and the welcome of Jesus when he says, I want you to come to my table. I want you to eat. I want you to enjoy because you're welcome. So we're going to talk about that tension today just a little bit. Because in a few moments, that's exactly what's going to happen. Jesus, who is here, is going to stand at each one of these tables, and he's going to say something to you that may make you a little uncomfortable. He's going to say, welcome. Come. Enjoy. Eat. I know it's extravagant, but just receive it. And you're going to have to decide whether or not you're going to take his invitation. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul saying this, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Wherever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everybody ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Let's never forget the context. On the very night Jesus was betrayed by Judas... On the very night that Jesus was abandoned by his followers, on the very night that triggered the events that led to the crucifixion and the murder of Jesus Christ, on that night, on that night, Jesus took the first painful step towards the cross, which ultimately led through the triumph of the resurrection. But on that very night, Jesus gathered his followers, those who believed that he was who he said he was, and after everything was dinner, after everything was done, he took a piece of bread in his culture and he broke it and he said, This is for you. You're welcome. Two thousand years later, the invitation has not been rescinded. 
The table's still open and Jesus is just as much standing here today as he was on that night and welcoming his followers to the table once again and giving us an opportunity to respond to his welcome. Well, before we come, I've got a few reminders that I think we should keep in mind as we come to this incredible moment. We are welcomed at God's table, but it would be nice to know what we're welcomed to do and how we're supposed to approach it. So in your outline, let's go to number one. We're welcomed at God's table to receive strength. That's why it says inside of the text that this is for you. That's why Jesus said that. This is for you. In a few moments, we're going to participate in a very spiritual, personal moment. It's personal because it's just between you and God. This is not between you and your neighbor and God. It's not between you and your spouse and God. It's not between you and your child and God. It's just between you and God. And here's one of the biggest mistakes we can make. One of the biggest mistakes we make in coming to communion is that we judge other people that also may be coming. So here's what we all need to know. For the record, the Trinity is full. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are fully engaged in the Trinity, and they're in charge of judging who gets to come and who doesn't get to come. And nobody here in this room has been appointed as a junior Holy Spirit, okay? It's a trio, not a quartet which means you need to keep your mind on your own sin and your own Savior and not worry about anybody else. So it doesn't matter if your wife goes and you think she shouldn't. It doesn't matter if your child goes and they broke curfew last night and you're kind of like, what in the world are they going up for? You know, that's not what this is about. This is about you receiving something that the Holy Spirit wants to flow into your life. And the reality is we come seeking strength because we're all weak. We've all failed. We've all dropped the ball. Nobody in this room lived a sinless week. In fact, most of us never even made it to Monday at lunchtime without sinning. Now, some of you are going, I actually think I did pretty good this week. Well, actually, you just committed the sin of pride, so welcome to the Sinners Club. Good to have you along. Okay? This is what I love about communion. Communion's for sinners. For weak people. And I find it amazing that a place that God designed for us to come and receive strength, I find it amazing that some of us would make a logical, actually it's a crazy illogical jump in thinking that just because we may have had some very weak sinful moments over the past week, that that would disqualify us from coming to a place that God intended to give us strength from. I mean, that, that's like going to a malnourished child in the center of Africa in the middle of the famine and saying to that particular child, when you get over your hunger condition, then you can come to the table and we'll feed you. No. So you need to come now because this is a place of strength. And the reality is you just proved you're weak like everybody else in the room. Let me tell you what Jesus said to people who would try and disqualify themselves based on their weakness. John 6, says this, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Which means this, you are invited to come and receive the strength that comes from knowing the God who is and declared himself to be the bread of life. Come and receive the strength that comes from being forgiven of sin and welcomed in the name of Jesus. Come and receive the strength that comes from acknowledging that when we are weak, he is strong. So we come to receive strength because we all need it. I mean, anybody else weak in the room today? Just me maybe, right? Yeah. Secondly, we do come to remember 
The phrase is inside of this amazing scripture in 1 Corinthians 11. Do this in remembrance of me. That's the famous phrase. I remember it. I grew up as a Baptist kid in Manitoba. There was a really big communion table at the front of the church. And these words were chiseled into the front of it. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a famous phrase. But it leads me to a question. Just exactly what does Jesus want us to remember? Does he want us to remember every single time we fail? Is your job between now and the time you come to make a grocery list of every single sin you've ever committed? I mean, do you need to pull out your iPad right now and start listing off every single failure that you've ever done in your entire lifetime, knowing you are never, ever going to have enough paper to list them all out? Does Jesus want us to remember just how much it hurt? When the nails went through his hands, when they went through his feet, when they wrapped that crown of thorns around his head, does he want us to experience it and live inside of it? Does he want us to remember that everything that he went through was our fault? Does he want us to be constantly reminded of the fact that we are lowly, wretched, disgusting failures who are incapable of ever getting it right and that we better ever never forget just how unbelievably ruined and wrecked we are? Is that what Jesus wants us to remember? Does he want us to remember that we did it to him? Because if that's how you perceive God and what he wants us to remember, I think you have a very twisted view of who God is. Does he want us to remember that or does he want us to remember this? If he was here right now, and he is, would he come and take the microphone and say, oh, I want you to remember, all right. This is what I want you to remember. I want you to remember and never forget every time you take the bread and the cup that when my blood was shed for you, it was shed once and for all to cover your sin and that you never ever need to live under the guilt of condemnation. I wonder if he would say, I want you to remember and never forget every time you take this bread and this cup that you can receive strength for your life from the abundance of power that comes from me living a sinless life. I wonder if he would say, I want you to remember you've been forgiven and that I will provide strength for every single day and every single challenge. I wonder if he would say, oh, I want you to remember, all right, I want you to remember that I beat death once and for all so you could live eternally with me. I wonder if he would say, I want you to remember I paid the price for your sin willingly and that it it wasn't steel nails that held me to a cross. It was love. And if I had an opportunity to do it again, I would because I love you that much. That's what I want you to remember. Never forget. I wonder if he would say, I want you to remember there's strength for your soul and healing for your body because I am almighty God, your healer. I wonder if he would say, I want you to remember when the enemy comes against you and he will, that I've already defeated him and that through my broken body and spilled blood, he has no authority over you at all. I wonder if he would say, I want you to remember you're more than a conqueror because of my victory over your sins. I wonder if he would say, oh, I want you to remember, all right, but this is what I want you to remember. You are mine and you are welcome. You are welcome. See, the key is this. The key is to remember not how bad we are, but how God, good God is. Now, is there a time to grieve our sin? Yes. It's in the moment when we sin. Is there a time to shed tears over our disobedience and rebellion? Absolutely. 
Is there a time to evaluate our lives and course correct ourselves? Yes, but we always have to examine our failures in the light of God's amazing grace. Thirdly, we're welcomed at God's table to renew our trust and commitment in the new covenant. Jesus said these words, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Well, if there's a new covenant, logically it would mean there was an old covenant, right? The old covenant of the Old Testament said that for sins to be forgiven, blood had to be spilled. In order for sins to be covered, something had to die. They weren't my rules, so don't get upset with me. This is the way God designed it. But the new covenant says this. When Jesus spilled his blood on the cross, the old rules were fulfilled once and for all, and it never had to happen again. There will never need to be another animal sacrifice because Jesus came as a better priest with better blood in a better temple to fulfill the rules once and for all. Never needs to happen again. So we get to come and participate in the new covenant. But I want to make sure we understand this. Don't place your faith in the symbols. I hate to break it to you, but it's just a cracker and grape juice, okay? We're not a transubstantiation church. There's a big theological word for you. We don't believe that they mystically become the body and blood of Christ as you ingest them. It's just a cracker and grape juice, what we believe. We are a consubstantiation church, which means we don't put our faith in the symbol. We put our faith in the God who gave us the symbol. See, the power of baptism is not in the water. The power of healing is not in the oil. The power of prayer is not in the words. The power of the anointing of God is not in the laying on of hands. The power is in believing in faith and trusting in the one who declared that there was a new covenant and that it's available to every single human being inside of this room. That's the beauty of it. Finally, number four, we are welcomed at God's table to re-examine ourselves. The Bible says in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11, So then... Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everybody ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is the toughest one of all. The word examine here in scripture is the same word that we would translate as one with regards to passing or failing a test. Those of you who are going back to school in the coming weeks, you're going to become very familiar with this concept, okay? There's going to be a lot of passing and failing going on in your world in the next little while. I was raised on the idea that the test of communion was whether or not I got to participate. Because in a very very formal way, they would pass out the elements and everybody paid attention to who didn't take it. That's where we got that fourth member of the Trinity thing going on. It's none of your business who takes and who does not take. Let's leave that to God himself. I I, I always judge, you know, whether or not I was in or whether I was on the outside looking in. The Bible uses the word unworthy in in the sentence right before the phrase that also uses the word examination. So I found myself always coming to communion the same way I felt in Camorra's office. I just don't deserve to be here. I'm simply not worthy 
I don't belong in this holy moment. I just should leave and make this easier for everybody. Some of you are feeling that right now. I can actually see it in your body language. And it's because something in your past is screaming at you saying, you don't belong. You're an outsider. And not only does God know it, but so does everybody that's sitting around you. You need to run. You're a failure. Can I tell you where that comes from? Just so you know, that's not Jesus. See, Jesus and the Holy Spirit bring about conviction of our sin. And that's very, very important because we should be convicted when we sin. If you're hearing that kind of stuff, you need to run, you don't qualify, you shouldn't be here. That's condemnation, and that only comes from one source. That comes from the devil himself. And you should know this. As a son or a daughter of God, you have authority in your life to tell him to zip it and leave you alone. And that's exactly what you should be saying to him right now. For some reason, we just get all wrapped up in this one. So I want to put in black and white the answer to some of these questions so you can take it home. Here's my purpose in doing this. I want you to know the next time the devil reminds you of your past, you should remind him of his future. And it is not a good future because that battle has already been won. In fact, I'm going to do something in October and November. I'm finally giving into the pressure. I'm actually going to do a series in October and November on the end times called Getting Ready for the End of the World, okay? Because apparently if May 21st didn't get us, the Mayan calendar is supposed to and all this other stuff. And so, but here's the deal. I'm actually going to do a series on the end times and we're not going to go to Daniel and we're not going to go to Revelation. In fact, the only person we're going to listen to as an authority on the end times is Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25 because he's the one that's sponsoring the comeback. So it would make sense that we would listen to him first. Okay? So that's where we're going. So if you expect that I'm going to walk out here with a sandwich board that says the end is near, you're going to be deeply disappointed by the time that we're done. Okay? I lost my spot. Where are we? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Okay. So... Because the enemy knows his end, he spends all of his time condemning people. So let me answer some questions so that we fully understand just exactly Jesus' understanding on our position here. Question number one is this, am I worthy? And the personal answer is no. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy because I know my secrets. Well, if I'm not worthy, then who is? Second question. Then who is worthy corporately? And the traditional answer is nobody, which actually makes me feel a whole lot better because if I didn't get in, I don't want you getting in either, okay? Just being honest, all right? And it is absolutely true. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which means none of us make the standard. That is the traditional answer. But I want to warn the theologians in the room, that is not the complete biblical answer. If you just grab a hold of that verse, you do not understand the whole counsel of God because the Bible has a fuller answer to the question, who is worthy? So let me ask it and then I'll answer it. Who is worthy? The biblical answer is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is most certainly worthy. Most certainly worthy. Jesus is worthy. Jesus died so that the grace that he offered would cover our sin, so that based on the standing of Jesus is the one who paid it all, that we could come based not on our worthiness, but on his invitation. 
So here's the deal. I know it's 11 o'clock, and I know you're very comfortable, and it's a little warm in here, and the sunshine is calling you, but I'm going to give you a glorious opportunity to say the word amen in a very, very loud African way in just a couple of moments. And the way I'm going to base it is I'm going to tell you a truth that should actually make you unbelievably excited if you actually know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. Because what I'm going to say to you, are you ready, 11 o'clock? Are you primed? Okay, now I want you to understand you're not saying this for me to make the pastor feel good. You're saying amen because you know in your spirit that it's absolutely true. So here's the deal that we all need to understand. The reality of my situation is this. I am not worthy, but the one who invites me to come is most certainly worthy and deserving of all glory, honor, and praise because worthy is the lamb that was slain. I get to come not on my merit, but on his. I examine myself, not based on my failures, but on his covering and forgiveness. I come under the banner of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one that stands at every table in this room and says, welcome. Welcome. So it means this. This is our invitation to communion today. To the broken saints who believe. And yes, we are broken But the Bible does call us saints, whether we deserve it or not. To the broken saints who believe that worthy is the Lamb, Jesus says, come and feast because you're welcome. Don't disqualify yourself. If you know Jesus as personal Savior, you are welcome. And if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you can. In a simple act of faith, saying, Jesus, forgive my sin. Heal my heart. I don't deserve your love and your grace, but I accept it. And in return, I give you my entire life. In that act of faith, you can go from not knowing Jesus to knowing him as a personal And that's the best thing we have to offer you. It's not lights and semi-air conditioning. It's Jesus. You know, when we wrapped up our lunch that day, um, I found it funny, but Pastor Kimura just kept laughing all the way through the meal. I was actually wearing a suit. I have one, okay? I wear it for marrying and burying, and that's the only time you'll ever see me in it, okay? He asked me, he said, are you comfortable in your suit? (laughs) No, I am not. He thought that was hilarious. He said, are you comfortable in Africa? I said, I most certainly am. Because the same Jesus who reigns in Bellingham, reigns in Tanzania, and because this family loves Jesus, it means I'm among brothers and sisters, and it could not be more comfortable. And he laughed at the top of his lungs. And he kept saying, you are so welcome. You are so welcome. Come, enjoy the feast. So we're going to do that right now. But we're going to do it differently than we normally do it. We're actually going to do free flow communion today, which means no human being is going to come at any of the tables and serve you. Because I want you to understand that Jesus is serving you today. 
Just like he washed the disciples' feet, he stands up here and says, you're welcome. This is the body and the blood of Christ for you. We are friends. And greater love has no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. So Elijah and the team are going to come back, and this is how we're going to do it. We're actually going to worship together, and it's not going to happen when I tell you to come. When the Holy Spirit tells you it's time to come for communion, I want you to come to communion whenever you're ready. And we've got about two and a half songs, and if we don't fit in that particular timetable, these tables are actually going to be here all afternoon. You want to take it at three o'clock this afternoon, that's between you and God. And I know some of you are going to think, but oh wow, I'm in the center of a section here, and I don't know how I'm going to get out, and this is going to be uncomfortable and kind of weird. I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Jesus fought his way through a crowd to get to the cross. I think a little inconvenience is probably a good reminder to each one of us about just how much he loved us. I also know this, if you're amongst family, if you tapped a brother or sister on the shoulder so they could let you out so you could come to communion, I don't think that's going to be a big deal to them. In fact, I would say if we're family, it would be, you are welcome. I'll get out of your way. This is awesome. So here's what I need us to know as we come. There's no pressure to participate. If you know Christ as Savior, this is for you. If you don't know Christ as Savior, we'd love an opportunity to talk to you about that. In fact, last time we did communion, three 15-year-old kids sat right where Lolly was sitting. Tyler, Mateo, and Brian. And I noticed when we did communion, they just stood respectfully and let everybody go on by. I talked to them afterwards. I said, I want to thank you, young men, for being respectful of what it is that we were doing. And they said, we don't know Jesus yet. And I said, my hope and prayer is that someday you will. Because we want you to come and be welcome and enjoy. You pray for them. You pray for them. They were here earlier this morning. So this is going to be free flow and it's going to be gloriously messy. And there's no order. And those of you who are highly organized, this is going to drive you crazy. (laughs) good (laughs) out of your comfort zone it's awesome and so we're we're just going to go into a time of worship if you are here our church has a lot of folks that are in recovery and i want you to know something if you're in active recovery the communion table is safe we use grape juice on purpose here because we would never do anything to trip up our brothers and sisters who are working towards god's life of sobriety for them so you're safe as can be And I'm going to invite you to come. If you want to take it back to your seat, great. If you want to take it right here, great. If you want to take it home in your car and think about it, great. This is really your time. And I just want to remind you again, this is between you and God, nobody else. The first song you're not going to recognize, be a glorious opportunity for you to examine and think or come if the Lord prompts you. But Elijah's going to sing over us. And then we'll sing together in worship. You've got about two and a half songs or so. But you come when God tells you to come. You've got lots of time. But please know this. If you know Jesus, you're welcome. If you don't know Jesus, you can. Cry out to him. Ask him to forgive you. He will. That's why he did this. This is for you.
So whenever God prompts you, now it's your turn to preach. God bless you, church. As you come to his table, you're welcome.